lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Aaron McIntyre. He is Todd Erzin and you are you. Let us know who you are. And what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email the program, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E, if you're wondering how it is spelled. You can also like me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show. If you want to avoid those censorship platforms, just go to MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter, G-E-T-T-R. You can follow me there without any censorship. Just look for Steve Dace there. And then look for clips that are free of censorship and free to watch. When you go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace show again, rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. I want to begin with an email I received uh, last night from a gentleman by the name of Corey Cummings, who then CC'd his wife, Sarah, on this note. Here is the note. If you are wondering why Built Bar is out of the pumpkin puff bars. It's because my wife just bought them all. Ten freaking boxes. I'm just reading this verbatim, all right? Ten freaking boxes. She joked about it for the last couple of days, and when she made the order tonight, I asked, did you really buy ten boxes? To which she replied, I said what I said. (laughs) I love that. I also love the role reversal. That's typically how we as men respond in these kinds of situations. I love the fact that she dropped that on him, though. That's great stuff. All right, so I don't know if they're all out of the pumpkin or not. I do know that the pumpkin's really good. Uh, so is the coconut brownie chunk. That's in the top three uh, for me of uh, greatest built Bar flavors ever. Those are back in stock, and so are all of their other great flavors that you can get each and every day, all covered in real chocolate, loaded with protein and flavor. Not loaded, though, with carbs, sugars, and calories. If you also want to buy 10 boxes or just one, Uh, Get 15% off when you use my last name, Dace, as your promo code at Built.com. B-U-I-L-T for Built Bar. Built.com, promo code Dace to get 15% off. All right. Today's show, um, we'll we'll lighten it up a little at the end with three non-political questions, but there's going to be a pretty heavy theological, um, hard-hitting kind of motif today. So I, I just... Want to warn you? Get your thinking caps on. We're gonna we're heading into the deep end of the pool here today. Uh, at the bottom of the hour, uh, a friend of mine, pastor here in Iowa, uh, he and a production team have put together. They went all over the country to do this project. They have uh, put together a documentary on the infiltration of Marxism and wokeism into the Christian Church. It is called "Enemies Within the Church," and we'll let you see a preview of this documentary. And we'll talk to Carrie about this coming up at the bottom of this hour. Next hour, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do for Theology Thursday this week. And then uh, our CEO, Tyler, called me yesterday on my way in to do the show. And after 20 minutes into this conversation, I I said to him, you know what? You just help me decide what we're going to do for Theology Thursday. Because we were having kind of a big picture meta conversation about where things are at culturally. And so for Theology Thursday, you know, Jesus says, hey, you guys know you see this in the sky and you know that that it means it will rain or it won't, but you don't understand the signs of the times or the sons of Issachar who understood the times for King David and what to do about them. All right. So 
we're going to read the signs of the times that we are in. We're going to take a step back and do a little recon on not just, I think everybody understands culturally where we are, but I want to go next level historically. Where are we? And so we will have that conversation coming up in the next hour for Theology Thursday. But before we get to those and other zany hijinks, of course, we begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Fighting Back. This montage will feature clips and news stories from around the world featuring you fighting back against COVID tyranny and oppression. We'll begin in Florida where this second grader may have to redo her entire school year because she's been suspended and disciplined so often for her refusal to wear a mask. She spoke to her school board recently. Tomorrow is my birthday. I am going to get suspended if I don't wear a mask for three more days, just because I get suspended for not wearing a mask isn't gonna change my mind. You can keep suspending me. I still have the right not to wear a mask. It is not fair that I'm getting punished because you guys, the school board, are not following the law. That is not fair. It just isn't right. I'm still going to stand up for what I believe in, and nothing's going to change my mind. I hope you all go to jail for doing this to me. And my family is proud of me, and my Uncle Murphy that is in heaven is really proud of me, and I want to say... Burke sucks, but instead of, your rules suck. Last weekend, also in Florida, leading physicians from all over the world gathered there to talk about their recent physician's declaration, which includes their commitments to fighting authoritarian public health measures like forced child vaccination, forced vaccination of COVID recovered, and so on. It was a who's who of physicians and epidemiologists like Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Peter McCullough, and many others. In New York, a bunch of New York's finest were spotted recently riding the subway without their masks. Well, you've heard of, I see a lot of badges, like uh, on the shirts. Did you turn your camera off? Yeah, you know that you can get a fine for not wearing masks. That's all right, they can fine me. They can fine you? Yeah. All right. In Israel, Orthodox Jews continue to protest against the vax mandate. They're chanting, we will not comply. Employees of the mega corporation Procter & Gamble have put together this shot across the bow of their company's vaccine mandate. We are Procter & Gamble. You don't know our names. You don't know our faces. But there are thousands of us. And we work to produce the brands and products you use every single day. Pampers. Tide. Tampax. Charmin. Gillette. Febreze. Crest. Oral-B. Secret. And many more. Some of us have been working here for 30 years. Some of us have been working here for 30 months. But we all have one thing in common. Because our company has threatened us with termination in the near future. For daring to say, our bodies, our choice. On our own website, we have a line that states, we show respect for all individuals. This is something our leaders preach to us every single day. But it is something that they have failed to put into practice. The consumer may not care about us being attacked. 
You may not even care if we're terminated. But know this. You'll start to care when our termination begins to affect you personally. What you've already seen happen to the airline industry will soon happen to many other organizations in America and around the world. When shipping speeds slow to a crawl and you can't acquire basic necessities, remember you could have stopped it from happening. When the factories in which we work grind to a halt, you will be to blame. So what can you do to stop this? Reach out to our company and tell them their overreach will not be tolerated. New Zealanders may finally be waking up after 20 months of lockdowns and COVID tyranny. They took to the streets this week in protest. In Missouri, employees at a 3M factory walked off the job recently in protest of that company's vaccine mandate. Last week in London on Guy Fox Day, the streets were filled with people protesting vaccine passports and public health authoritarianism. In the Netherlands, a massive protest took place recently, by all accounts, one of the largest protests in the country's history against vaccine mandates. After six months, Italy has continued its protests. Melbourne, Australia is doing the same. And the French protests are still going on this week for the upteenth week in a row. They want you to think you're alone. You're not. And that's what happened while we were away. Amen. Aaron's montage brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Wine. And these wines come from deep within the Andes Mountains down in Argentina, made by the same families that have been doing this now for hundreds of years. One of the highest altitude vineyards in the world, around 9,000 feet. They taste incredible. Notes of blackberry, dark cherry, leather, and smoke. All three of us have sampled it. All three of us can personally rave about how good these wines are. Great to pair with uh, a steak any time of year. And you can find that you're going to get half off as well without a promo code if you go get this top quality imported wine today at PatriotWine2021.com. Again, no promo code necessary. You just have to go to PatriotWine2021.com. Again, that's PatriotWine2021.com. Let's let's get to Aaron's montage. And part of what I'm going to discuss in Theology Thursday is the lack is the reaction or lack thereof of reaction so far anyway from most governments around the world to these mass protests and what that may or may not mean, okay? And I'm only I'm, I'm only doing a mild spoiler of that now because I, you guys don't know necessarily what I'm going to talk about next hour and I don't want us to inadvertently uh, get ahead of ourselves, okay? So let's set that aside for a second. The, the state of, of, of government in general in the West or Western civilization, and I think even though it's a different hemisphere, traditionally we have considered like Australia and New Zealand sort of outposts of Western civilization, fair? Yeah. We'll, we'll discuss this from the supply side next hour. From the demand side, let's talk about us and where we are. And that the theme on the show this year has been, the answer is us. That we don't have 12 more months to wait until next November to put Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy back in charge of the Congress for no, frankly, no good reason whatsoever. But at least they're not communists, I guess. That's our new standard, right? Don't be a communist. That's our new standard. Don't be that. Okay. Um, Don't be demonic. Be corrupt. Be weak. 
be a coward, uh, but just don't be demonic. That's our new standard uh, as we plunge into the depths of the lesser of, of two evils. But that's a year from now, let alone, you know, can Trump win in 2024? Should he run? Should DeSantis or Cruz run it? I mean, I, I will be tickled pink if we're sitting here with the luxury of having these sorts of trite, by comparison to what we're discussing now, debates two or three years from now. Fair? Yes. And, and it's going to be up to us to get us to, to, to get us there. It's going to be up to, to us to get us there. So, when you see Aaron's montage today, Todd, I'll start with you. And then, Aaron, I want to know why you chose to, to use this as a theme for the montage today. When you see what's in Aaron's montage today, all things that are occurring recently, and there's a lot more where that came from. I mean, this could have been a 15, 20-minute montage if you wanted it to be. Your reaction, Todd, is what? My reaction is that you've mentioned frequently how a lot of the uh, churches in Europe have basically been turned into museums. Mm -hmm. When they're not turned into mosques. Correct. Uh, But there's a vigor over there on this particular topic, and we, we say all the time we're dealing with the spirit of the age, that they recognize with a level of vigor that we see signs of here in America. Uh, I guess my concern is that the bread and circus comfortability problem over here in America may impede it from going where it needs to go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about what you laid out in your reaction, Steve, immediately after the recent school board elections and how a sense of it it can't happen here may have anesthetized certain more rural tend to be more conservative school districts to not make sure uh, that uh, the vote got out and you didn't have uh, villains like the one in my district who ended up winning. So my reaction is, what is it going to take, America, for you to fight back just as hard on this. I'm not saying it isn't going to happen. Um, the, 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 the Archduke Ferdinand snap of a finger effect, it, it may be happening right before our very eyes, and I'm just um, not quite caught up with it regarding you know kids now being vaccinated. Maybe that's it. But the, every weekend for months on end now, Europe has had the right reaction to this. And I get uncomfortable, as I know Steve does, when Europe is being more conservative than this country is. And this is a proper, I don't need to, you don't need to join the young Republicans or anything like that, but this is the proper conservative reaction we are seeing. It's an over my dead body reaction. Whether they can voice that or not, it's, it's organic. Like we cannot be a free people if you do this to us. We need to see that in America at a higher volume than we are right now. I, I agree. And I also think that it is because we, we have legislative remedies available to us through our unique constitutional system and the federalism that's inherent to it that you can, you know, the doctrine of the lesser magistrate is a lost art until like Ron DeSantis recently discovered it. But 
this is inherent this sort of notion of these kinds of checks and balances all the way down. That's what the point of juries were. The founders considered juries to be the unofficial fourth branch of government, that that was the very last. You, you can now go to your own peer group in your own community to get justice before we had to go and get it, you know, uh, the, the more old fashioned way. Right. And these sorts of systems don't exist in a lot of these other countries where a governor of some Italian state just has some form of standing to practice a form of largely non-compliance against what's coming down from the centralized federal government, okay? But, see, that, I would argue, to your point, that's even more of an impetus to do what's going on in these other countries. Because we do have those pressure points. That it would be even more effective here because we then do have the ability to go out and act on it and pressure our elected officials to act on it in ways that may not exist in a lot of these other Western countries. See what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, of course. And it's that, that it's not really an either or it is an and also, I mean, this is one of the things that letter from a Birmingham jail is about. And if you've never read it, it is one of the greatest treatises of the, of the, in the history of American literature. And it's, it's one of the most influential works on how I have done this show from the beginning of my career. So the setup to Leather from a Birmingham Jail is, um, is Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is in jail for helping to organize and deploy the bus boycotts in Alabama um, in response to segregation. And the point of this was to bring, is, is exactly what the Procter & Gamble employees are talking about, since we are per- predominantly... Uh, you know, per capita more than any other group riding these buses and working these menial jobs, then you're going to make a sit on the back of the bus. We'll bring this system to its knees. We'll just stop. We'll just stop riding your buses and take it out of your pocketbook if we can't get remedy legally. If you won't acknowledge the law, then we'll do this with the laws of supply and demand. Okay. And the letter is written to. You know, there's a. I'm not saying it's on par with letter from a Birmingham jail, and if I did, he'd slap me for saying it. Okay, but it's similar to the tactic that Jason Whitlock takes today, in the column here, actually yesterday, in the column he wrote for the Blaze about Kyle Rittenhouse, where he's like, his his point is, why am I as a black man supposed to get all worked up that a white guy shot a bunch of white people who attacked him, and why is this a racial issue? Why? Why is a so so those three white people, including the rapist, are now proxies for our left wing saviors, and therefore, if if they go, if if they can be shot, then I can be shot. I I have no regard for them at all. The fact that too much of black Twitter is obsessed with a case that doesn't involve black people, a criminal case, black people whatsoever, is just beyond a fallacy. And he's exactly right about this. He's he's pointing out the fallacy of their arguments, and th- and he's pointing out that we have, that what's happened is. Too, much, too many leaders in black America have allowed themselves, just like we've talked about now, the gender madness allows men to be better, to be better women than women. And, he, and Whitlock is writing yesterday in The Blaze, we're now letting white lefties be better black people than black yes. people. They're more black now, okay? And we have to care more about them than we do the crime in our own neighborhoods and in our own streets and in our own schools, right? Yeah. He's, I mean, this is dead nuts on the money. It, it's not a, his piece isn't a column, man. It's a friggin' mushroom cloud. That's why when I tweeted it out this morning, I attached that as a gift to it. And the other side of that is, what was it, Dyson just a couple of days ago talking about the new lieutenant governor of Virginia saying, I, he actually said, I see her black mouth moving, Yes. but black words don't come yeah, out. Yes, yes. Well, 
a proto version of this is what MLK is attacking in letter to a, letters from a Birmingham a letter from a Birmingham jail because he has largely friendly white I guess at the time we'd call them woke lefty ministers telling him to work through the system. You know, they had just overturned in recent years Brown versus Board of Education, allowed these things to work themselves out through the legal and legislative process. And his argument is it was 60 damn years from Plessy versus Ferguson until Brown versus Board of Education overturned that precedent. We're not waiting. We're not waiting around any longer. All right. We do. We do just as much dying, living and dying in this country, military serving and tax paying in this country as everybody else does, whether they're white, red or indifferent. We deserve our birthright as Americans, and we're going to we're going to take it. Okay, uh, not by any means necessary. That was Malcolm X's message, but but to the extent of within what within Christian ethic is the most extreme I am permitted to become, and it is civil disobedience, and that's what he lays out in Letter from a Birmingham Jail, and it's a response to white folks who think they get to lecture him about what being a civil rights leader looks like. And it's and and that's very similar to the tone that that Whitlock takes. And I think that within that framework, you see that this is how pressure is brought onto the system. You don't win the election and then you win the argument. Margaret honor Margaret Thatcher's axiom. First you win the argument and then you win the election. Okay? First, you win the argument, and then you win the election. On our side, we have so, we have too long viewed voting as a as a as a salvationary exercise. That voting is how we save America. Voting is how we save our belief system. It is pr- part of that process, but it's it's a little bit like if I obeyed all the other ten commandments and then didn't ignore the first two. I'm a good person. I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't, I don't, I don't adulterate. I'm a good person. But I'm I skipped the first two. There's only one God. Don't worship any other gods. Hell has got cages full of really good people. Is is it is it anticipated that if you obey those first two commandments, you will then demonstrate the goodness that is now within you by carrying out as best you can those other eight edicts? Well, certainly. Yes, but that's the order of things, is yeah, it not? Yes. It's inside out, not outside in. We have attempted to do this outside in. We'll stay in our suburban spider holes, and then we'll just show up on election day and overrun the system. It's the other way around. First you win the argument, and then you win the vote. Now... In Europe, they have to go down this road because they don't have an alternative. They don't have like a Ron DeSantis they can turn to to bail them out in certain places. But in our country, because we've had some of those things, I think we have forgotten this. Glenn Youngkin did not win that election in Virginia last week. What happened is the argument was one that parents are in control of their children's education and not the state. The argument was one that guys don't get to rape girls in the girls' locker rooms in our state. The argument was won, and then Glenn Youngkin won the vote. First you win the first you win the argument, and then you win the vote. Put it another way, a republic. You can keep it. Amen. Aaron, why did you choose to go with this theme with the montage today? I just think 
with, I mean, there are several legitimate stories outside of, outside of COVID, fa- I mean, they all stem from COVID fascism, but several legitimate stories, whether it's the Rittenhouse trial or whether it's inflation or whether it's what craziness is coming out of the administration today. Uh, several several stories that you can go down, COVID or not, um, but it's important to actually highlight the people who are fighting back against this. And so, uh, for one reason, those people deserve props. They deserve kudos. And secondly, more importantly, or, or more maybe self-serving, not, not only for us, but for those in the audience as well. Listen, the enemy's game plan is always to divide and conquer. Where was Christ when... When, when the devil tempted him out in the wilderness, all right? The, the, the plan is always to make you feel like you're on your own. You're isolated. You're isolated. That's the game plan they've been running from the very beginning, literally isolating a lot of you and then causing you to, to be uh, or hoping that you would uh, become fearful. It's important to know, even if you don't see them every single day, there are millions of people around the world on this issue, may disagree with you on a lot of other issues, but on this issue, they see things the same way you do. There are a lot of people around this country, probably millions around this country, tens of millions, who see things the same way you do on this issue. It's important to remember that so that when you're, cut, you're, you're stuck in a situation like the gal who emailed us, eight kids, uh, the ninth on the way, last Theology Thursday, Husband is about to lose his job over the vax mandate. Don't know how they're going to make ends meet. It, it's, it's small consolation. It's small consolation in those moments, obviously. You know, hey, you're, we're all in this together. Uh, you're not alone. But it's important to know that it's a fight worth having. And a lot of people, a lot of people feel the same way that you do. And so I think, you know, it, one... There's just not enough time in the montage to highlight all of these every single day. And so I, I thought, you know, it'd be a good opportunity to kind of have a catch-all montage for, for a lot of these. But two, just as an encouragement to know that you're not isolated, you don't have to be. The only isolation is uh, of your own conscience and your own mind if, if you let it go there. So that's the, that's the main motivation. What you just articulated is exactly why you're not seeing this footage on your major news networks. On linear, on linear platforms, you see it on places like Blaze TV. If you're on Twitter and you follow, a, a, you know, a handful of of uh, freedom, liberty loving accounts, you'll get access to videos like this. Why don't they show you this? Because they want you to feel. Like, first of all, because these outlets are propaganda tools for the regime, and and part of that propaganda is to, as Aaron pointed out, make you feel isolated, that you are alone, and you're not alone. That's why they're not showing this stuff to you. If if we if there was all these calls for rallies and five or ten people plus flies showed up, would would they be showing these things? Oh, oh yeah. yes, they would at yes, the top of, of every damn hour. To, because again, this is a, this is a this is a propaganda war. That's what you get in civil wars or any other kind of war for that matter. All right, and so this is a propaganda tactic. If they could make it look like you are isolated, look, look, they tried to do something and this many people showed up. Ha ha ha! Laugh laugh laugh. Right? Okay. Um, they would. Like we did when Barack Obama went to do a rally for young or for McAuliffe in Virginia, and we were shocked that 
a popular former president can only draw a couple of hundred people in a mm-hmm. state that he turned blue himself. Right? Or by showing them you see this many people engaged in actual peaceful protests. They're not burning down their cities. That, you know, we Correct. just got done talking about Rittenhouse. That's They're a not great point. shooting people in the middle of the street. That's a great point. You're, we are not alone. You're not isolated. And that's been a great encouragement to me because even though our show has grown tremendously in the last couple of years, it's still nowhere on par with, say, where Glenn Becker is at or Mark Levin is at. All right, that, that's why I go on their shows to promote my books and they don't come on my show to promote theirs. They don't need my help. <laughs> All right, I need theirs. Okay. And so that's why I was so encu- I've been so encouraged to see so many pockets of this level of resistance way outside the, the, the ecosystem reach of our program, which means that this is happening everywhere in the West, everywhere. There's, there's still life in the old lady yet, okay? But that won't last for eternity. There is a window, and we'll get into this next hour, for Theology Thursday. There's a historical window to act right now, okay? But it will not stay open into perpetuity, especially with so many of our churches asleep or deceived, and we'll talk about that here next. Folks, if you sit around just waiting for the next election, the country is going to be lost. We simply cannot vote our way out of tyranny. You know that. That's part of the core message of our program here. That's why I'm excited to let you know about a real way to change the way that D.C. does business. They won't teach you this in their indoctrination camps known as the government schools. But Article 5 of the Constitution gives the states the authority to call a convention to propose amendments limiting the power of Washington, D.C. without the approval of Congress or the president. And this is how we can get potentially term limits and other much needed reforms. If you want to go on offense, calling a convention of states puts us on a battlefield where we have the advantage. So you can join so many others, uh, like my friend Congressman Chip Roy, for example, our very own Daniel Horowitz, Governor DeSantis, Rand Paul, many others uh, across the nation signing and sharing the pledge at conventionofstates.com slash Steve. Again, if you want to sign and say yes to the pledge, conventionofstates.com slash Steve. Again, that's conventionofstates.com slash Steve. Well, a new movie has just been released, a documentary, and it doesn't pull any punches at all. Take a look. What happened to the church, to the living, powerful, transformative, nation-shaking Christianity? What they're trying to do is completely demolish Western civilization and then to rebuild it in a just society. How do you break down American Christianity? I think the problem today in our culture is many of our words have been co-opted and stolen and dumbed down and reversed. Social justice is sold as something that it isn't. 
critical race theory is sold as something that it isn't. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. Whiteness has caused blindness of heart. When you preach victimization, it always leads to vengeance and vice. Us against them, me against you, I want my pound of flesh. American churches today are where the universities were 10 years ago. Pretty heavily Marxist. They're not quite there yet, but they're well on the way. Many of the seminaries and Bible colleges are definitely already there. That message that they're going out and taking the world is not, you need to repent of your sin, receive Christ. Instead, the message that you actually have is they are under the weight of racism or sexism or homophobia, and then we need to unify them together. I'm gay, I'm 29, I'm a youth pastor in New Jersey. I'm straight, and I'm also a youth pastor in New Jersey. We're planning on sharing life together for the rest of our lives, which we're not totally sure what that looks like. Obviously, Nick is straight, and he does plan on getting married. Uh, when he has a wife one day, she'll make those decisions with us. The future damage of what we're doing now is just going to be enormous. The entire fabric of family, personal wealth, private property, all those things are out the door. And everything is the state. They believe the state is God. They don't define justice the same way as the scripture. Oh, no. It's going to be an equality, all right. And it's going to be a totalitarian Marxist justice. So there is the preview for the new documentary, Enemies Within the Church. One of the men behind this documentary, who also narrates it, and he's been a longtime friend of mine, uh, is Pastor Kerry Gordon in Sioux City, Iowa, and he joins us now. It's good to see you, brother. How you been? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on your show, Steve. Glad to see I am not the only one who looks a lot older than I used to be. But that we're <laughs> going to take that as signs of wisdom, brother. <laughs> Yeah, I, I went right. to brush my hair this morning, and I'm like, who put all this salt in the side of my head, right, <laughs> when I got out of the shower? You know, we started making the movie three and a half years ago, and some of the footage, my beard is actually a different color. Than it is. <laughs> yes. Continuity errors. <laughs> Go back to Judd Saul, your director, and say, you need to fix that in post, okay? Right. The colorist said they can't make my beard change colors. Sorry. <laughs> all right, let's, let's talk about... Let's start with a rather obvious question. Why is this film needed? This film is needed because, uh, how do I say this with gentleness? The United States doesn't realize that we're in World War III, that we're losing the biological war, that we're losing the psychological war so that China and other communist regimes can avoid a military war. And this movie documents how they did it. What causes a guy from Sioux City, Iowa to think, you know what, I'm going to put this thing together and name names of some of the biggest figures in current modern American evangelicalism. In other words, who died and made you boss? I used to get this question all the time. I still do sometimes, but I get to ask it now. So, so where do you, where does, where did you get the authority or the uppityness to believe that it was up to you to call the church into account? That's an excellent question. The answer is Jesus died and he gave gifts unto men and he set them in the church in Ephesians chapter four, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we are commissioned not only to preach the real gospel of the Bible to our generation during the period of history when we're alive, but we have to defend it from wolves 
and liars who pervert the gospel. So in a sense, I have a duty from heaven, according to the scripture, to stand up and say, no, what you're saying is not the real gospel of the Bible. You're perverting God's word and you're misleading God's people into perdition. And if I didn't do something like that, if I didn't stand up and say it, I would be failing my job. I had a long conversation with our CEO, Tyler, yesterday, and some of that I'm going to talk about in the next segment of the show, uh, in part two of our Theology Thursday this week. But we were having a sort of a meta conversation about where we are at historically in the West. And one of the questions he asked me is, you know, you talk on your show, Steve, all the time about revival or bust. I hear you talk about that on your show constantly and you have for years. Do we have like who are do we have like major Christian leaders who could lead that kind of a revival? And my answer to him was, I actually think in this case, it, it has to come from the local church that. The most powerful right. institution of the American Revolution was the local church, yes. all right? That was the most, the, the so-called black robe regiment. That was the most powerful institution that drove on a moral and philosophical and theological basis that, that drove that, that pivotal turning point in, in all of human history. Yeah. And it's going to take something like that from local churches across the country as well. And, it, and I think, it, therefore, it's somewhat poetic that a guy who is, frankly, just from Sioux City, Iowa, you have a successful church, yep. but it's it's Sioux City, Iowa. It can only be so successful right. in Sioux City, Iowa, right? And so yeah. it's that a guy from Sioux City, Iowa got together with some of his friends, got in a car, went all over the country talking to Christian leaders around the country trying to figure out what in the Sam Hill's going on here. Yeah, exactly. And it really is a journey, and the movie is inviting everyone to come and get on the journey with me from the beginning to the end. We asked the question at the beginning, like you saw in the trailer, what happened? What happened to the church? Where's the real church? And by the end of the movie, you're all going to know what happened, exactly what happened. You've got the historical track. We go back 100 years after the Reformation and say, where did we go wrong? Because there's problems. And decisions that were made theologically 100 years after the Reformation are now coming to fruition. Their logical conclusions are happening right now. And so we're kind of shocked at how bad things are, but there's a reason. So we have a historical track. We have a theological track. We reduce this down to three big ideas that pretty much dominate the Western church in every denomination that we say are poison and they're error, and then we show why. And so historical track, theological track, and then you have the political legal track. Of course, we have to deal with that too. By the end of the movie, I think everybody knows what happened to America. And most importantly, when you leave the film, we've been saying this, we're hearing this from people who saw the preview, who saw the premiere that was held in Sioux City. Hundreds of people came from all over the country to see it. People were making phone calls between the theater and their car saying, you have got to see this movie. This movie says what no one else is willing to say. And it gets to the root of the problem. And we give an action plan. What do we do now? You know, after you see the movie, what are we supposed to do? Everybody build a bunker? No, we have an action plan on what to do to save this country. It's still not too late. Although without God and without the Bible and without following biblical instructions, very specific instructions, yes, it's too late. If you're going to leave the Bible out, you think you're going to do it through the Republican Party or you're going to reelect Donald Trump and he's going to save the country, you are going to lose everything. You're going to lose your freedom because freedom doesn't come from Donald Trump and it doesn't come from Democrats for sure. And it doesn't come from any Republicans. and It certainly doesn't come from American politics. Freedom comes from Jesus Christ. People that knew that founded this nation and the people that are supposed to know it 
are aborting this nation right now. They're not doing their job. So our goal is not just to show you what's wrong, not just to show you how we went wrong, but we have solutions on how to fix it. And we have to do it in faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus. You were kind enough to let me see a sneak peek of this movie a few weeks ago. And uh, I, I felt, I know how I've often made other people feel now throughout the course of my career. Just bombarding people with clips of things they don't want to admit their favorite leader or superstar Republican has ever said and done. And yet here's their own right. voice and they're doing it. And, and you don't, you just want to turn away. You don't want to, I, I just can't believe I kept falling for the banana in the tailpipe kind of a thing, right? There's yeah. several of these yep. moments for me watching this and I'm certainly not uninformed and no shrinking violet. There's one that sure. is the next morning I came in here and said to Todd and Aaron, it is etched in my brain. And it's uh -huh. watching Al Mohler at the Southern Baptist yeah. Convention repent for, for, for denying the fallacy of sexual orientation and admitting that this actually exists, all right? That, 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 in other words, certain sexual behaviors are compulsive, okay? Right. Um, and it, they're, in, they're innate. Watching that clip, I, I, I will tell you, I, I almost turned it off. Like, I don't think I can do yeah. any more of this. Uh, and then I realized yeah. if I did that, I'll be, I'd be doing what a lot of people have done with me. And so I had to get through to the end. There's several of yeah. these kinds of moments in this movie, Carrie. Well, well and, and the thing is, from a personal standpoint, you know, we're only showing you the tip of our pinky finger and what we've learned through this three and a half year process. And I can tell you that I've, I've had to have a lot of prayer and a lot of grace from God because this is heavy stuff. It's not easy to know what's going on behind the veil, behind the curtain. And, and uh, so we give you just enough so that you're just clear and you understand how bad things really are. It's not what you think. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are living in our little small bubble uh, filled with faith and praise songs. But I'm telling you, America's coming apart at the seams, right? It's coming apart at the seams. I think what's coming in the next six months to this country is going to leave people with their heads spinning. They have got to wake up. But here's the good thing. I have actually had a lot of ministers, and I don't know how you feel about it, Steve. You saw it to the end, I, I assume. I've had ministers say to me, you know, I am tempted to give up and quit all the time. But when I saw the ending of this movie, I had fire put back in me to mm -hmm. go back and keep fighting. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people said they, they had hope for the first time after watching this movie in many, many years. So I don't want people to think this is just all negative and it's all hard and it's all sad and heartbreaking. And I mean, nobody wants to have something else to be depressed about. Mm -hmm. I want you to realize we do give you hope at the end and it's real hope. It's not hopium. It's the real thing. It's hope <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ. How can people get a hold of this movie and see it, Carrie? Well, the movie is released to the public tomorrow, assuming that the computer guys get everything done just so. But tomorrow it goes live for the public. You can stream it from anywhere in the world at www.enemieswithinthechurch.com. www.enemieswithinthechurch.com. Everybody go watch this movie. You will be glad that you did if you carry it through to the very end it's very powerful it's very well edited it's very well done um thank you and you guys did a phenomenal job of wrecking us all right um but it's stuff that we needed to see and and maybe i think we're more i know it took you probably longer to get the film done than you wanted frankly the timing yes. is perfect i think we're more ready to to, to see yeah. this now than we would have been a, even a couple of years ago Okay, so go to enemieswithinthechurch.com and that's where you can watch it beginning tomorrow, correct? 
That's right. Thank you. And Steve Dace is in the movie. I am. Yes, they decided to lower the standards for a, a couple of scenes <laughs> and include me in, in an act of complete and total pandering. Yes, that is true. Good to see you, brother. Really appreciate you. Thank you. you. God bless you. Same to you. Enemieswithinthechurch.com. Now, I'm just going to warn you, though, okay? There are no sacred cows in here, man. Like none. And if I'm wincing, because I, have I skewered a few sacred cows? We've, we've done some of those animal sacrifices on this show over the years, have we not? Those are my favorite part of the coattails. <laughs> I, I know. You would, you would do these animal sacrifices daily. You, when Todd talks about the Old Testament coming back to life, that's part of he'd like to bring back to life, all right? It's just we're just sacrificing sacred cows every day for two hours, just letting them, bloodletting them. You'd like to see that, right? Um, but this movie doesn't have any, okay? And watching Al Mohler who's been on my show, who I had in the past early on followed very closely and admired and watching him stand up in front of the, his fellow Southern Baptist and repent for denying sexual orientation. I, I was just, I was just blown away. I mean, I, and then you like rewind it on the little Vimeo with your finger. Did, did I see that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And there's several of these kinds of moments, man. Okay. So you, those of you that are like in a dot connected mood, you know, the ones that are emailing me vigilante media, conservative media kill lists of who you want me to take on and take out. All right. If that's you, then this movie was, is, is right in your wheelhouse because it, it doesn't, the bodies hit the floor in this puppy. All right. And, and, and just imagine if only half of this, of what's in this film is true. Just only half of it is. What if they only got 50% of it right? It's, it's, it's a good watch. And that's, you know, we've got a conversation coming up here in a couple of weeks on the show, actually. When I head down to Oklahoma City for the filming of Nefarious, we are going to spend an entire hour talking about eschatology on this show. I, I just, and folks, it was my idea. I'm the one that said to Todd, hey, let's set this thing up. All right, so this will be one of the evergreens next month when I'm gone for a couple of days to, for the filming of Nefarious. And we're going to be joined by a gentleman named Douglas Cobb. He has written a new book called And Then the End Will Come. And he lays out um, his thoughts prophetically on why this could very well be the generation that sees uh, Christ return. So if you want to get that book before that episode runs here in, in a few weeks in early December, you can just go to the website, and then the end will come.com, and then the end will come.com, or just find it on uh, Amazon.com. Again, it's by Douglas Cobb, and then the end will come. And we're going to have something on this show I never thought we'd have. And, and it would be my idea an eschatological conversation. Next hour, we'll continue Theology Thursday. Let's understand the signs of the times and then maybe what to do about them. We'll do that next. Back yet again here with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. His name over there is Aaron McIntyre. What's your name? You can let us know by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also let us know by following us, uh, liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. I learned yesterday 
somebody whose name is Bruce Jenner's uterus uh, is following me, is, is, is following the show because he retweeted me yesterday or she or they. I'm not really sure what the preferred pronouns for Bruce Jenner's uterus happens to be. I just know that my day felt complete when I learned this, and it was only like 7.30 in the morning yesterday. That's why I was in a really good mood. I mean, when you are when you feel like your mission for living that day is fulfilled by 8 o'clock in the morning, everything's kind of downhill from that point forward, right? Uh, you can also follow me on, on sites that don't have any censorship. It's places like MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. And then get clips of the show that don't have any censorship either and are free to watch over at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. True story. I got retweeted yesterday by Bruce Jenner's uterus, guys. So far, now, who knows? You know, we got one day left. But when we do our best and worst of the week tomorrow, that is the leader in the clubhouse right now for my best of the week, getting retweeted by Bruce Jenner's uterus. It's like the astrological... Is that like getting retweeted by Lindsey Graham? Lindsey Graham's what? Oh, just Lindsey Graham. Graham. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. My bad. It's like the astrological signs of of Twitter. Are you a Capricorn? No, I'm Bruce Jenner's uterus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the the, the Twitter zodiac. Yes. Yes, I like that. All right, um, what else? Oh, you know what? I'm going to do something. I don't know if I can do it, but I'm just going to do it because that's I've made a career out of not asking for permission like ever and then just begging for forgiveness later if, if I wasn't supposed to and it didn't work out, okay? I'm actually going to put two live reads together in one little mini statement and let me tell you why all right because interest rates right now are at an abs are still at historically low levels we just took advantage of this over at our house just went through a refi to get an obscenely low interest rate okay and one of the things we did to help us get there um is we went through ScoreMaster because until the last couple of years while we were building this show and this business even at the day's household a lot of times we were kind of living paycheck to paycheck so before we go in there um, with a refi, where are we at from a credit score perspective? And then how do we get to where we want to go? We used ScoreMaster ourselves to get that obscenely low uh, uh, rate for our refi just a couple of months ago. That's why I know the process works. I can recommend that you do it. You can visit scoremaster.com slash Steve right now. Get all the information on your credit score that you should have that they already have on you. Don't find out from them. Right? You should be armed with that knowledge about you because it is you. It is you and what the system thinks of you. Know that going in. Know exactly why you have the score you have. And then if you need to raise it, exactly how to get to the score you want. And you can do that at scoremaster.com slash Steve to get started today at scoremaster.com slash Steve. But then there's a second part of this process as well. If you're not just doing a refi, you want to relocate. Right. And there's a lot of conversations about this right now. There are a lot of people talking about this. Uh, People that have been frequent guests on this show, Matthew Peterson, Jesse Kelly, many others talking about you're we're just going to have to move into these red states and make them as red as we possibly can. Uh, That's why if you're going to make that relocation and now is a good time to do it because those interest rates are so low and who knows what the economy is going to look like even after the first of the year, given the way things are trending at the moment. Make sure you get a real estate agent that you can trust over at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is a company started by Glenn and his associates because they ran into real estate agents they could not trust, right? So you want to find a real estate agent that you can trust. I mean, somebody that was interested in moving to Iowa asked me for an agent. I actually sent them to our agent, Scott Remsburg. Again, I've not bought a house in 16 years, but I trust that guy because everything he's ever told me is true. 
And sure enough, um, you know, he was able to help this uh, listener get some information about what it would take to move here or into the, you know, uh, into a Des Moines uh, neighborhood if they wanted to come. So find an agent that you can trust at realestateagentsitrust.com. The name of the website kind of says it all realestateagentsitrust.com. So we won't make that a regular thing. It probably violates all protocol, but I kind of wanted to package them together as like a public service announcement because they kind of do go together, right? First of all, make sure you get the best rate you can on a refi or a mortgage, and then make sure you get the best agent that you can as well uh, through realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to, and again, the name of the movie is Enemies Within the Church, enemieswithinthechurch.com is the website to watch the movie when it debuts tomorrow. I have seen it, and it is <clears throat> it is powerful. Depressing at times, but powerful. Uh, and the ending does get you uh, fired up to do something about what you just were subjected to watching for the previous hour and a half. And um, that leads to, again, enemieswithinthechurch.com, that's the website. That leads to part two of our Theology Thursday. And I'm going to impart to you in the audience part of a conversation I had with uh, with Tyler, our CEO, yesterday. And he just called me before the show. We were just getting caught up on stuff and end up getting to a broader conversation about where things are at culturally, but also historically. And about 20 minutes into this conversation, I'm like, dude, you just... I, you just told me what I, you just showed me, this is what I got to do on Theology Thursday tomorrow. So I'm going to do it. It is important to understand the signs of the times. I mean, the ruler of God's creation says it is. He chastises his followers, his people, for not understanding the signs of the times. In the Old Testament, the sons of, of Issachar came to King David's aid because they were men who understood the times and what to do about them. It is, it is how we demonstrate discernment. And that is a key ingredient to being successful in God's economy, is discernment. What is discernment? I just told you. Understanding the signs of the times, reading a room in, in a specific situation, and then having the wisdom because of some basic knowledge of the owner's manual to the universe, the word of God, on therefore how to confront any given or not confront, because sometimes the answer is to not confront, right? So how to or whether not to confront any particular situation. That's what discernment is. Wisdom in action. And sometimes wisdom calls for inaction. There's a lot of talk about where we are at culturally here in the U.S., I want to go up a notch. We've even discussed it a few notches higher, theologically. But I, I, want, I want to discuss where we are historically. Because history doesn't just repeat. It rhymes. Especially when the enemy of history has a very familiar playbook. The, the enemy of history, is it's, it's similar to, well, it's similar to, you know, um, schematic fads in football. The zone read and put the quarterback in a shotgun and turn him into a runner and running the option with a running back. 
that's the Veer offense of the 70s, but we just have the quarterback and a shotgun now. RPO, run pass option. Well, there's three options. The quarterback can run with it, the quarterback can hand it off to another runner, or the quarterback could pass. It's a triple option offense. Did we just invent the triple option offense in 2014? No. No. It 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 was previously we called it a flex bone or a wishbone, but the triple option offense has been inherent to football for almost since its beginning, right? Modern yes. beginning. What's happened is these these things aren't so much innovations as they are meaning brand new. There's very few things that are like brand new. Every every once in a while, someone will come up with something brand new. Like the BYU passing offense was considered brand new. That's why everybody copied it for decades in college and pro football. Bill Walsh copied it and brought it to the NFL and was called the West Coast offense. That was brand new. That was revolutionary. But most things that are called brand new and revolutionary are rebrands. Not new, not innovative. They're rebrands. The fundamentals remain the same. They're just updated for a different time and era. This is what the enemy does. Every now and then, there will be a Lavelle Edwards BYU pass offense. And it will often accompany some great technological advancement, the telephone, the internet. But we don't, as human beings, we don't get these communication revolutions like every 50 or even 100 years, right? These typically come, you know, centuries apart. So what does the enemy do in between? Just update and rebrand. That's all. Just update and rebrand. Right now, we are using the following terms to describe the spirit of the age. Fascism. Nazism. Marxism. Communism. Are those things accurate descriptions of the enemy we face in in the West? Yes. But they're not sufficient. Because it's more than that. Is it accurate to say that? Yes. But it is more than that. In fact, I would argue there that we as that that freedom, human freedom, since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, have never collectively faced a threat, has never collectively faced a threat since the Dark Ages at least, like it does now. And that there has never ever been in all of human history a moment where, where collectively so many disparate nations and cultures and governments lost their damn minds. Just never happened. And I'm going to explain to you why I think that is. Because this, I think, is dramatically and vitally important to understanding the times so that we may then know what to do about them and why our typical levels of engagement and activism will not be sufficient. Because what we're up against is not typical. The Nazis were typical. Um, more vile, 
more technologically advanced and therefore ghoulish and gruesome. But, but they did things that if Genghis Khan had a technocratic society or um, the Visigoths or the Druids or the Ottomans if they or, or Muhammad, if they had technocratic societies with the ability, I mean, you don't think the Muhammad of the Battle of the Trench would have marched legions of Jews into ovens and gas tanks if he could have just done that? Of course he would have. Didn't have those sorts of technological advancements. So they had to do it hand to hand. The Nazis were in a, a rebrand, an updated, a contemporary for their time update of what we typically see. Typically, when, when existential threats to human freedom emerge, they come from nation state. A nation state or a pocket of nation states that believe in the superiority of their either rulers or their customs and way of life, like Alexander the Great wanting to Hellenize the modern world, for example. And therefore, they view it as their mission, for your own good, of course, to conquer you and turn you into them. We are seeing a variation of that in this day and age, but it is not coming from the nation state. And that's what is going to make this harder to defeat than any of those other previous iterations. Aaron's montage showed you revolt after revolt, protest after protest. You said it was the umpteenth. I went back and looked. It's 18 straight weekends in Paris or Milan. 18 straight weekends in major metropolitan sectors of France. Unprecedented protests. And yet the democratically elected government there just isn't moved one iota, are they? Nope. Have we heard one iota of movement from the democratically elected government in Italy? Nope. Has there been one of these nations yet? The UK has seen these protests. Has one of these nations in the West yet? After these masses of protests, then turned right around and said, and in response to mass protests and revolts, the UK government led by Boris Johnson has decided not to issue the Vax Pass. Have you seen those stories or headlines yet? Not at the level we would need to. Why? I'm gonna, I, I'm, I think I have the answer to that question. Okay. Because what we're dealing with is for the first time, and, and this is why this is why this summer I didn't watch as many college football games, plus the commercials for fun late at night on YouTube from the 70s and 80s to pass the time. This is why I, I, I spent most of those nights instead watching end times videos on YouTube. Because for the first time, the world is small. For the first time, there's the ability for entities that transcend parochial or nationalistic concerns within an individual country's government or body politic to unite together to transcend all of those things. This is why they hated Brexit. But notice the two countries that basically are paying for the rest of the European Union, the UK and Germany. The UK says, screw that noise, we're not cutting the check anymore. In a normal era, there would have been mass protests in Germany the very next day. Workers saying, why am I going to work to pay for Greece's bills? Did you see that? No. Why? Because for the first time in all of human history, there is a truly global agreement. 
from a sector or cabal of elites that have the ability with today's technology to connect with one another, do business with one another, unite with one another, and transcend the modern nation state. This is also why there is so much unique deception in our country. Two days ago, a listener in France sent me the latest update that the French government was sending its citizens on COVID policies and statistics. And they were lamenting the continued tyranny in their country, which I agree with. But I couldn't help as I read through the dispatch. It was actually, because you know me, I know this data. It's pretty accurate, actually. Pretty honest, pretty forthright, forthcoming. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying it justifies the tyranny the French government wants to put on their citizens, but the information they're actually giving the people for the most part about COVID is largely accurate. Our government yesterday, did you guys see this? Just out of the thin blue air, decided that like 20% fewer kids had been infected with COVID than they previously had estimated with no justification as to why. And then they're actually claiming there are more symptomatic cases of COVID than actual infections. That's impossible. That, the CDC is actually claiming this right now. Our buddy researcher, Phil Kirpin, he's the one that pointed it out to me. It's on his Twitter feed. You cannot possibly have more symptomatic infections of an outbreak than actual infections, guys. That, that's not, that violates every natural law of biology. That's not how this works, okay? Just fudging numbers, man. Just making poop up. Whole cloth. Whole cloth. Why? Because there's only one country left on earth that if it opts out of this, and even if it says, we'll go it alone. Y'all want to do your own globalist thing? You can. We got our own thing. We got our own military. We're protected by two shores, and we got more nuclear vessels than you do. So have a nice time. Enjoy your dark ages. We're going we're gonna to continue you know, doing the old red, white, and blue over here. There's only one country on earth that has the standing that if it, if it opts out of what is happening, this whole thing collapses. Can you guess which country that is? It's this one. This is the only one. If the Brits decide we're not doing this anymore, does it change this calculus at all? No. If the French decide we're not doing this anymore, does it change the calculus at all? No. All right. Now, if the Brits and French decide they're not doing this anymore, does that change the calculus at all? Oh, yeah. But the problem is these folks have created a system where they can transcend these parochial issues. This is why the elected leaders in our own country and in all these other countries aren't turning back at all, despite how bad their poll numbers get, despite how, how overwhelming the revolt gets, the protests become. The volume increases. It's why they're not turning back at all. Because they're not accountable to you anymore in their own minds. They work for this system. And the system is not just communist, and it's not just Nazi, and it's not just fascist. It's yes. It's all of those things. This is like if the enemy came up with a greatest hits list. 
and decided, all right, let's take a day in the life off of Sergeant Pepper and let's take um, uh, um, uh, something off of Abbey Road and let's take uh, Revolution or, or Back in the USSR off the White Album and put it together for an all-time greatest hits. It has the technocratic, cold, calculating worship of materialistic science as an agenda that the Nazis loved. It has the retconning, agitprop, redefining of words, and just completely retconning and memory-holing history that the Soviets loved. It has the, the alliance of elites within the public and private sector that is the classical definition of fascism. It is not one of those things. It is all of them. All of them. And the enemy has all his chips in the center of the table now. We're all in now. All in. And short of mass revival in the West, spiritually, there's only one thing standing between that being the winning hand with whatever cards they're holding. Us. And that's that's why we the other countries are actually getting valuable data to their people, but then tyranny. We can't even get good data and then tyranny because we are the, we're, we are the, we're the, we're the tipping point here. We're the reason that this world did not turn away from freedom and liberty in two world wars and a cold war in the last century. And we will be the only reason that the world doesn't or does in this one, barring revival. It's this country. This country is uniquely positioned in its own way, in a cultural war setting, it is a valley of Megiddo right here. This thing's going to turn on what happens in this country right here. There is no other place on earth that can truly exempt themselves from this. They don't have the commerce, they don't have the economy, they don't have the middle class, they don't have the manufacturing base, they don't have the fuel, they don't have the spirituality or morality. No other place on earth, no other place on earth could say, I would prefer not to. I'm going to conscientiously object. Enjoy your dark ages. We'll be over here playing Super Bowls. No other place on earth can do this. We are the only one. And that's why the stakes are so high. That's why, that's why the level of deception here, and take it from somebody who has looked and studied as much COVID data as anybody has that, that isn't specifically in the medical field for the last two years. We have the worst and least reliable data in the civilized world. And it's on purpose. It's on purpose. Because we're the last, we're the last contending hand at the poker table. We're the only one left. And we're actually arguing with ourselves about whether we want to fold. Because everybody running the system right now in our country wants to. Or is already committed to this, well, we'll call it what they call it, Great Reset. But that's what's occurring here. This is why the local church in the conversation we just had with Kerry Gordon is so important. 
Because the local church was where the mustard seeds of liberty and freedom were planted in this culture and on this continent to begin with. Why did the pilgrims come here? You ever read the Mayflower Compact? They literally came here to establish a Christian-influenced society. They wrote it in their charter. Why did they flee England, their own countrymen? They weren't fleeing the Moors. They weren't fleeing the Druids or the Norsemen. They were fleeing their own country, the Church of England. Because it had become debased. They came here with a specific mission and purpose in mind. And it's laid out in the first governing document ever written and forged on this continent. And about 160 some odd years later, those seeds are further codified in what is written in the Declaration of Independence. And then the Constitution. This is the last outpost right here. And this is going to rise and fall based on what we do. Now, it's entirely possible that no matter what we do and how well we do it, that this is truly history's final chapter. That's possible. And if that's the case, that's okay too because we know how that story ends, right? Yes, we do. Okay. But if it's not, you know, you can have a cataclysmic event that doesn't mean the culmination of history. We've had that before. It was called the Dark Ages, and it lasted for centuries. The idea that we can't go back to that is not true. History doesn't just repeat, it rhymes. So to me, if we do what we're supposed to do and stand up for what we're supposed to stand up for but still lose, I'm actually encouraged by that because that probably indicates that the signs of the time are maybe more eternal in nature than historical, right? Mm -hmm. And I know how that the end of that story is written, and I'm looking forward to that ending. But what if it's not eternal, the front we're fighting on, and it is merely historical? We are talking about potentially sentencing generations of our children and grandchildren to darkness. And that's why I have said before, at a minimum, the stakes we're playing for here are Western civilization's future. That's the, that's the low end of the game. The ultimate end might be you might be watching the end of history unfold right in your, in your time. But at the very least, we're playing for the end of Western civilization or its continuation. You know what the world looked like before Western civilization? Nothing like it looks now. And that's why I think this isn't a time to make three or five year plans. This isn't a time to say, well, I'll, I'll wait for six months when I'm in a better position and then I'll do blank. I don't, I, I could be wrong. I don't think I am though. 
That's why my own sense of urgency, my own willingness to, to go to places in the past I really didn't want to go to or wasn't comfortable with is evolving. It's because I'm responding to my own diagnosis of where I think we're truly at here on the timeline. And I think there's one place left that can plant a flag, pardon the pun, and say, no. But the time that we can do that here is not into perpetuity. It's limited. We're at the point now we're debating, can I breathe free air and do I possess bodily autonomy? Do you know what people have traditionally been called when they couldn't decide for themselves whether to breathe free air or whether they had bodily autonomy? What have we called such people throughout all of human history? Slaves. That's literally what we're debating here now. And if those are the stakes we're playing for, then we have to raise our game accordingly. Three non-political questions are next. Several of you have emailed me here in the last couple of days asking me about this product. It is an outstanding way to do something new, original, special uh, for a Christmas gift for somebody this year. It's called Paint Your Life, where you can have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand of any photo at an affordable price. So I'm doing this, hope she's not listening to this episode, I'm doing this for my mama for Christmas this year. I took the oldest picture I have of the two of us together. Uh, I'm maybe a toddler. I'm going to guess maybe about three. Uh, and that would make her about 18. And um, and of course, now that picture is from the you know mid-1970s. So it's pretty worn out. And I, I mean, I'm just blown away by what they were able to do with this. I mean, they it, it looks phenomenal. Okay. And they can do this. You've got any memory you want to preserve, any photo whatsoever. Uh, they can do this for you, and it, it can all be customized. Is there, is there a specific style of painting you want? Uh, you can even customize the framing if you want. All right, so it's a quick and easy process. You can get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks, something that's meaningful, per, personal. You'll cherish it forever. Uh, again, just a unique, special Christmas gift, and they look great. Uh, if you want to get this for somebody this year, um, here's all you need to do. To get a special offer right now, uh, 20% off your painting, 20% off, uh, and free shipping. Let me throw that in there for you too. So 20% off and free shipping, text the word Steve to 64,000. That's 64,000. Text the word Steve to 64,000 and you'll get 20% off and free shipping and you will not regret this at all. It is a fantastic product. Steve, text my name, first name Steve, to 64,000 for Paint Your Life. All right, let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. During that last 
uh, commercial for, for Paint Your Life, I was frantically searching on the computer for the lower third and then for the, the full screen image. And I typed in the word paint into the, the file explorer. And there's a file, a PNG, and an image file named Steve Disembodied Head Oil Paint. And shockingly, that's exactly what it is. It's like an oil painting of your head. I, I don't know. Do I want to know why you had that? I have that? no idea. I can't. Do I need an armed guard or do you, need to, do you need to call Lindsey Graham I after the show? I have the faintest idea. Okay. Uh, three non-political questions that I did not think I mean, who, of. Let, he who last... does not have an oil painting of the of their headless boss on his computer cast the first stone. Yep. No, that's exactly correct. Go ahead, Eric. Um, three non-political questions that I definitely did not just think of within the last three, four, five minutes. Because you I'm thought waiting. of them ten minutes ago. Nope. No, oh. I literally thought... There 30 was, seconds ago no, during the break. 32, yeah, it was about at the 32-minute mark that I <laughs> started thinking of these questions. Just, you know, so set your expectations low and I'll be sure to exceed them. Question number one, what do you make of some of the greatest coaches in college basketball over the last decade plus? Think Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, who's not even there anymore, Coach K, uh, some of those names. What do you make of them struggling in the last few years. Is that perception real or is it not uh, not true? Uh, Coach K has struggled a little bit. Um, Roy Williams. Coach Cal has struggled a little bit. Yep. Coach Calipari has by his standards. Roy Williams has. Um, I mean, Izzo just won a Big Ten championship just like two years ago or something, right? Or was it maybe three years ago? But just it, recently. I, I kind of wonder, one... Everybody gets old if we're going to even accept they're struggling. But I'll go with the question. One, everybody gets old. The other is um, we're now more than a decade into the NBA one and done. And I, I think that, that other programs, like I look at yours, for example, have figured out that if we're older than those guys, we can still be better than those guys. That in, that. I mean, Kevin Garnett's better than you at 18 or 28, right? It doesn't matter. Right. But how many of these one-and-done guys are Kevin Garnett? Not many of them. And so if you assemble teams of these guys, and they're all 18, 19 years old and haven't been through an entire off-season of a strength and conditioning program at a major university yet, and my guys have been through three or four years of this, and they're just more physically developed, and they play together longer, that... um that kind of trumps in your case, in this case, that kind of trumps that level of talent, you know? And so I think that's part of been part of it too. I mean, I mean, coach K had a kid cannot quit on him in the middle of the year last year. Mm -hmm. That just wouldn't have happened 10 years ago or, 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 or ever at Duke, you know? And if you look at a lot of his best teams, you know, you had a McDonald's all American and Bobby Hurley, a very highly rated recruit in Christian Leitner, who's arguably the greatest college basketball player of all time. And then a lot of those other guys, like, you know, that that played in those eras. Quinn Snyder, Ala Abdul Nabi. I mean, these were, you know, high-end three, low-end four-star guys, but they were program guys, they high buy-in guys, right? And you could just re-run re it back with those guys year after year. That's why he made all those final fours in a row. And I think several of these coaches kind of got away from that 
and it, it it got them a little bit away from being consistently great. While other teams, if I look at my team, how, how Michigan has become an elite college basketball program, it's because John Beeline f- figured out that we could dominate recruiting guys in that 25 to 50 range nationally who weren't one and dones and weren't on like Kentucky and Duke's radar. But we're still very good. But are still very good and get them to stay for two or three years and buy into a system. And Juwan Howard has just picked that right right up. And then now Juwan can get Mosa Diabate, five-star guys, because of the first couple of years of how successful he was. And I just think programs are learning more and more that if we're older, and I think that's why you're seeing Kentucky and other these programs at the transfer portal now, they're starting to figure that out too. So I think I think it's just, you know, 23-year-old men are just physically superior to 18-year-old kids unless that 18-year-old kid is a generational type of a player. Yeah, a, a lot of variables changed within the last decade that take away from the greatness of the coaches we're talking about uh, in basketball and would take away from any sport. It's it's culture. That you can you don't need to have a great culture to have a, a, you know a one-year run, even a you know two, three years, but to have the sustained excellence that the coaches you're talking about, there needs to be, it doesn't all have to be the same, but there just needs to be a non-negotiable year in, year out cultural ethos where the buy-in, it's it's what everybody wants, it's what everybody needs, and there's no, just the just one and done was plus you get to the point in your career where you've had so much success. I don't know if a coach, even coach K fooled himself into thinking that this is the way, just because things are the way of things, it doesn't mean you can make them work. Uh, There was, you can call it inevitable. I don't believe it. I don't believe many of the things that a lot of the sports bros think are inevitable. This is just progress. This is the way of things. You know, that's usually lazy thinking and not true. But there's no way that was ever, ever going to work with anybody's culture, no matter how strong it was, because that's clearly putting the I above the team. I'm here for one year. You're lucky to have me. Maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I don't. And then I'm moving on. Um, that, that, that was a death sentence to true college level greatness yeah i i think the reason if you accept the premise of of the statement um i think the biggest reason is that a lot of these coaches forget that the reason why they are regarded as such great coaches um and the 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 reason why a lot of these one and dones are attracted to them and their programs is because they are great coaches. You can only have success for so long with these one and done guys. I think they I think they substituted the one and done, the talent for the actual coaching. Because in the college game more than any other level, especially the NBA, but in the college game, it's very much driven by by the coaching and by the system that you run and the culture as Todd was talking about that you run as well. I think uh, I think it's an over reliance on on talent instead of you know just trusting your your coaching instincts. Question number two: If you had Iron Man's arsenal 
just his entire arsenal, just his entire company, what's the first thing you do? Um, end COVID, Stan. How? Uh, vigilante justice. As Iron Man once said or echoed, whatever it takes. That's how. Whatever it takes. Well, he could, uh, he, he had his uh, fingers in every aspect of tech. Go back to the very first movie, The, the Great Gift, Arms Open, the, the Grand Explosion. Uh, from his military success. Is it better to be feared yes. or respected? Yes. Why not both? Yes. But then he goes, every every single movie of his that he's in, including all of the uh, Avengers movies, it's constantly going through his crisis of conscience on every level. That's why my family and I were just caught the second half of Spider-Man uh, Far From Home uh, last night when we all got home. And... Uh, Happy is uh, talking to um, Peter Parker in his great crisis of conscience near the end of that movie. He says, I can't be Iron Man. And Happy's like, Iron Man couldn't be Iron Man. That guy second-guessed everything he did. Uh, but he would he would be helpful in debunking, as he did the military-industrial complex uh, in many respects In the, as Iron Man. He would be helpful in debunking the uh, vax mandate complex because he has the wherewithal he has the tech he has the knowledge he has the data he could paint the picture um i would uh i would uh if i had his entire arsenal i would just i would i would just probably take over a country and just kind of you know why why defeat covid stan when you when you could when you could, you know, make something better and just say, screw all y'all. We're, we're doing our own thing together down in like, I don't know, Uruguay or something like that or, or Paraguay or something like that. Take one of those countries over. Uh, question number three. If you were to open a restaurant, what would the restaurant be called and what would be um, one or two of the staples on your menu? My restaurant would be called Smug. <laughs> nice. Keep going. Uh, staples would have to be just outstanding buffalo wings. That would have to be one of them. I think I would call mine favorites. And it would just be a collection of my own personal favorite foods or the things I make really well. So like breakfast would, would be French toast because I make really good French toast. Let's call it the ugly American. Okay. I like favorites. I think is a little more marketable. All right. But I like favorites. Call it favorites. Okay. Uh, And you know, so you've got um, some good pizza. You've got some lasagna. Um, You know, you've got, um, a really good burger, a good steak, it'd be favorites. Things that are my favorites. Good shrimp. Is that one of your favorites? Those are all things that, these are all things that I love. Burger, one of your favorites? Yeah. Is that Steve's favorite? It's one of them. Okay. Burgers. Did I say burger? No, I just, 
Okay. I meant burgers. Sorry. The, my problem would be the dessert menu. What to limit it to? Just build bars. It's just it's just pumpkin stuff all year round. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, I would call it favorites. I think that's a pretty cool idea, actually. Because it centers around you. Yes. I love me some me. <laughs> it's not like I'm the only one. You're like you'd be like the soup Nazi there. Could I have uh, this replace? No. No soup for you. No. No favorites for you. Come to this restaurant. In fact, here's our marketing. Come to this restaurant if you like what I like. Those are the commercials we run. What do you think? Well, I would, of course, that's... It doesn't matter what I think. Yeah, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks at this restaurant. I know. I know. <laughs> Have you seen a theme here? Have you had Iron Man's powers? What would you do? Take over? If you could start a restaurant, what would you do? Make it all the stuff I like. <laughs> right? Are you guys sensing there's a reoccurring theme here? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Okay. And Um, the marketing is, if you like what I like, come to this restaurant. If you like what I like. Oh, delightful. Mine would be, uh, I had this idea before I got married. I would just call it kind of the bachelor. And the point of this restaurant is that there are no staples and there is no menu. It's just kind of whatever's in the fridge that day. Throw it into a pot. With some eggs and serve that. I think it goes without saying that the staff of the Steve Day show has no hope in the restaurant industry whatsoever. Why would you say that? With some eggs. With some eggs. (laughs) Eggs make everything better. That's just crazy. Some protein. Whatever's in the fridge, just throw it together and then he tosses in with some eggs. So, so how's that for uh, thinking of three questions in three minutes? <laughs> with some eggs. That's what you should call it. With some eggs. With some eggs. <laughs> call that. It's a, whatever's in the fridge, with some eggs. The eggs are the staple. Uh, eggs with everything. With some eggs. I can't take these two guys out in public anyway. I liked my idea quite a bit. It's called like, your kitchen. That's, because yes. that's what it is. I'm quite fond of it. Was that idea home. your favorite idea? To, is it it uh, was my Steve, favorite yeah. idea. Yeah, a restaurant called favorites based on my favorite things and we just play that by the way my favorite things that just plays on loop in the restaurant 24 7 every day my favorite things michigan theme song that's it my favorite no my favorite things that song is all that plays all the time over and over again my favorite things the muzak version too they get really annoying (laughs) we're back at it again tomorrow until then john 317 with some eggs This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.